0: Good morning. Yeah. So this is the last week of Colin's sabbatical. He should be back next week. So we're all glad about that, yeah? Yeah. Don't be too glad. Don't be too glad. No, I'm just kidding. No, we're all very glad about that. Uh, We do do, um, uh, miss him, and um, it will be very good to have him back. This week, however, we are wrapping up our... I am series. We've been going through Jesus' statements, I am, in the book from the book of John. We've covered three so far. We'll be looking at the last one today, but there are actually more than that. There's more than than just four. And so I thought it would be helpful to see them all. Now, bonus Sam prayed through all of them this morning, which was pretty great. <laughs> he got a little preview on what we're, what we're going to be uh, introducing these things about today. But I thought um, it would be helpful to step back uh, and, and not get so focused on each one that we would be in danger of missing the big picture. Because what Jesus is doing is he's revealing something about himself in every one of them. And so he's painting this picture, this overall picture of who he is, of what his character is like, of what his heart is, of what God's plan is for us in this world. And so... um, As we go through uh, the seven, there's actually not just seven. There's even more I am statements than that. But he doesn't. But in these seven, he compares himself to something, a symbol that they would be very used to. But if you look at some a place like John four twenty six, Jesus says, "I am He," saying, "I am the Messiah." He's not comparing himself to anything. He's just simply stating the fact. He's the Messiah. He's the one who's going to reveal the Father. He's the one who's going to bring the truth of uh, a time is coming when the Father looks for those who worship him in spirit and in truth. It will no longer be about what, where you worship or your nationality or uh, background like that. In John eight fifty eight, Jesus simply says, I am. Now that's a bold one. Because what he's doing there is he's identifying himself with the I am of the Old Testament. Yahweh, the one who appeared to Moses. I am who I, I am that I am. But Jesus goes on to compare himself with these, with these symbols that the people, especially the disciples, would recognize. He begins with, I am the bread of life, John six thirty five. He is the true manna. They all knew what the manna was about. He's saying, that fed you well, that fed you in the desert. But I am the true bread that brings eternal life. I am the light of the world, in 8.12. He is the true light. He is the one who brings true wisdom, true sight from God. I am the door of the sheep, ch- uh, 10.7. He is the true entrance to the kingdom of God. I am the good shepherd, 10.11. He is the true shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life, 11.25. He is true life, true resurrection. And in him, we will be raised to life, never to die again. I am the way, the truth, and the life, 14.6. He is the only way to be restored in our relationship to the Father. Now, look at what Jesus is saying in all of those. Look at it. All of these are drawing our attention, our focus, onto the promise of true life, eternal life, full life, flourishing life. It is Him, it is all Jesus. I am, I am, I am, I am. It is all about Him. And, he, and what He's saying has been progressing throughout. Jesus said it, and John recorded it in such a way that each statement builds on itself, all leading up to the final statement I am the true vine, chapter 15. And so let's read chapter 15 together. Follow along with me. Ch- chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Father, we come to you this morning confessing again that unless your Spirit gives us wisdom, we will not understand your word. Unless you work in our hearts, we will not be changed. Unless you move in our lives, we will not be conformed to the image of your Son. You alone are our hope. You are the power and the glory. To you be the power and the glory forever, Lord. We ask you to speak to us this morning. Open our eyes. Open our ears change us, Father. In your precious son, in Son's name we pray, amen. So he begins here, in the first two verses, I am the true vine, my father's the vine dresser, every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear fruit. This is kind of an introduction. He's introducing the persons involved in this story. And it's not really a story, it's more like an analogy. He's teaching through word pictures. He's giving them an image that everybody would understand right off the bat. They all knew what a vine was. They all knew what fruit he was referring to. It wasn't this wasn't something strange to them. This was everyday life. And so he's introducing the players. And the first that he says is the true vine. I am the true vine. Jesus is the true vine. He's not comparing himself to a false vine in this analogy, but to the vine or vineyard that disciples have heard about their whole life. This imagery has been present in the Old Testament all throughout. And so if we look at a place, let's say Isaiah chapter 5, if we look at Isaiah chapter 5 verses 1 and 2, we see it talking about this. "Let Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Israel was repeatedly compared to a vineyard in the Old Testament, but they were unable to accomplish the task. Just like the sacrifices couldn't make anyone righteous... They couldn't make anyone righteous before God. They had to be repeated year after year, over and over again, until the true sacrifice came. Neither could Israel, as the vine, as the vineyard, provide true life in God, or fruit that glorifies the Father. They weren't simply barren, but they produced bad fruit. Wild grapes. However, Jesus, the true vine brings life from the dead. Jesus the true vine cleanses us from our sins. He works us he works in us and brings fruit that glorifies the Father. Everything that Israel was a shadow of, everything that they were pointing to that was that was going to happen, that they were a picture, supposed to be a picture of Jesus fulfilled. And so he is the true reversal of death of the death that came in the garden where there was once death now there's life but then there's a second player in this in this and this is this makes this particular passage unique, because in all the other I am passages, though it talks about the father and relationship and the relationship between the son and the father, it doesn't specifically give him a role necessarily. Now, obviously the father has a role in all of this, but it doesn't call it out so clearly as it does here. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. My father is the gardener. The branches that do not bear fruit are taken away. The father is the one who does that. The father is the gardener who judges whether, whether branches are bearing fruit or not. That's the, what the father is doing here. We'll talk more about this taking, taking the branches away statement in a minute. But understand that this imagery is also not new. They're used to this idea. They've heard it again and again. Maybe it hadn't sunk in the way it really needed to. But they've heard this again. Just a couple of verse down in that Isaiah 5 passage. After talking about the bad vine, he says this. And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its edge. And it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste, and it shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. But he doesn't leave it there. Isaiah doesn't leave it there, and God never leaves it there. Yes, he brings judgment when the, when the time is right for that, but there's always a promise of hope. In Isaiah 27, he says, In days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. The true vine, the true vine is the source of this hope. It's pointing to Jesus. This flourishing, for that to happen, the vine dresser must prune the branches for fruit. Those that do not bear fruit, he prune, or those that do bear fruit, I mean, he prunes that they may, may bear more fruit. That's the hope. Basically, the Father desires to see the branches flourish. This is key. We need to let this sink in. The heart of the Father, the heart of the Son, the heart of the Spirit is that we would flourish, that we would know true life. Now let's think about this for a minute. Oh, wait, no, we forgot one the branches. <laughs> Can't forget that one. The branches are us, we're the branches. And Jesus is explaining how we live in him, how we thrive in him, how we are to flourish and grow and bear much fruit in him. But in this brief introduction, he makes it known that this isn't an easier, comfortable process. Pruning is not fun. Pruning involves cutting. Pruning involves tying up, binding, trimming away. And that can be painful in the moment. But think about it. If we are the branches, Jesus is describing. What is it that Jesus wants us to understand from this imagery? What is it that He wants us to take away? Where is He pulling our minds towards? To, to what? He's not speaking haphazardly, but He's very intentional. The word that He uses again and again is abide. Abide. The branches are to abide in the vine. We are called to abide in Christ. And so the branches abide. Verse 3. Already you are clean because the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Now, verse 3 seems to be a little bit out of place. It's kind of like... We're talking about vines and stuff. But understand, this chapter 15 isn't something in isolation. This is in the context of the whole conversation that's been taking place between Jesus and his disciples. He's preparing them. This is the Last Supper. He said this before. Just a few minutes ago, he said these very words to Peter. Peter's like, okay, if you don't wash my feet. Oh, you got to wash me. Wash everything, right? Justin talked about this. He says you're already clean, and that's what he says here. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now think about what Jesus, the context that Jesus is saying all of this in. All this talk of abiding in Christ and not being and not abiding in Christ. He's helping them to understand what's going on around them right then. He wants us to understand it too. Because what else has happened? Judas has left. Judas has gone to betray Jesus. Now, not all of them understood that at the time. They were like, where's where's he going right now? But Jesus knew. And they're going to figure it out pretty soon. The disciples are going to need to understand this when everything plays out. And Jesus is preparing them, warning them, and warning us that there are dead branches among us that are not in the vine and bear no fruit. How do you explain Judas? He was dead. Then he moves straight into abide in me. And the most important word in that command is me. Abide in me. This isn't a do better message. It's not. Abide better. Abide more. No, no, no. Abide in me. This is a Jesus message. This is a turn your eyes to Jesus message and trust him. Because that's what Jesus is saying. And the statement isn't just abide in me, it's abide in me and I in you. Jesus is continuing to prepare the disciples for what is coming. They're about to feel really abandoned. He's about to go to the cross and what? they're alone. They're going to feel lost. They're going to feel betrayed. And he's saying, don't walk away. Remain. Abide. Know that I abide in you. You are not alone. I have not abandoned you. I have not forsaken you. We need that message, don't we? We need to hear that all the time. We need to hear, I haven't abandoned you. Abide in me. I abide in you. Stick with me. Remain. Remember, Jesus had just told them in John 14... I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And who, I, and who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So Jesus is saying, Abide in me, because that's where life is. And the evidence of that life is fruit. The branches bear fruit. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Fruit is the outcome of abiding. It's not a work we have to accomplish. And we think about it like that a lot. Whether we want to admit it or not, we often think about fruit as a work we got to do. I got to work on being more patient. Man, I just got to, I got to figure out how to be more kind in my day. Throughout the day. Man, I got to work on this. I got to love better. I need to do this. I need to do that. Abide is the command. Abide is the command. Abide in me. That's the imperative of that statement. You can't by force of will create growth. You can't. If you could, then it would make sense for me to say, well, if I had just worked harder at growing as a kid, I'd be taller right now. (laughs) But I'm not. Because that's not how growth works. Working harder does not make more fruit. Trusting Jesus with more and more of your life, resting in his will for you, that leads to fruit. But then there's the other side to this. Not abiding is to be separated from the vine. If anyone does not abide in me, He's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Not abiding is to be separated from the vine. Now, this is not something that happens, but something that already is. It's a statement on one's relationship to God. We are either dead in sin or alive in Christ. John put it in these terms earlier. In John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Again, who's this about? It's about him. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And there you see the heart of God again. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Those who abide in the vine are in Christ. Those who do not abide in the vine are not in Christ. It's a statement of fact. They have not believed. They do not have his life, but are dead in sin and and are condemned already. Death is is, is separation from the vine. Separation from the vine is death. Life in the vine results in fruit, even if the fruit is meager at this point. Those dead branches are like Judas. They've been around. Judas was around Jesus. He listened to his teaching. He heard it all. He spent time with him. He even did things that Jesus asked him to do. But like the branches... His faith was not in Jesus. He didn't believe that fullness of joy was in him. He didn't believe that eternal life was in him. That the very presence of Jesus was the presence of the kingdom on earth. He didn't believe that. Otherwise, he would not have betrayed him. Jesus tells us This is going to happen. He tells us that there will be those who are focused on doing work, but never trust Jesus. Lord, Lord, Matthew 7, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Do we not do mighty works in your name? Listen to what they're saying. Listen to their justification on why they should be received into the kingdom. Did I not do? Did I not do? Did I not do? Again and again. Didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? Depart from me, you worker of lawless. I never knew you. I never knew you. No. No. Jesus is saying, abide in me, know me, trust me. Now, also note this, there's no specification on how much fruit the branch produces or how healthy the fruit is in the moment. If there is any fruit, small, few, far between, if there is fruit at all, the Father prunes that branch that it might become healthy and flourish. You and I may not see it in the moment when that branch, when our brother, when our sister are in their weakest moments, we may not see any fruit there. But the Father knows. He knows. It doesn't matter if we see it or not. It's the Father's job to figure that out. Why don't we let him determine which branches are which? I think we can trust him. He said there would be wheat, tears among the wheat. It won't be until the last day that he sorts all of that out. So our job, love people, abide in him, point people to him all the time. Because this vine is not a one and done kind of thing. He's, he's grafting more branches into that vine. He's bringing life where there was previously death. Yes? Yes. So what does fruit look like? If you abide in me, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What does fruit look like? I think we maybe overthink this sometimes. Try and figure out, well, is this the fruit of the Spirit or the outcome of evangelism, new believers, baptisms, yada yada. No, no, no. The answer to that is yes. Yes, it is. It's all that. Fruit is simply the outcome of a life lived in Christ. Fruit is the outcome of God working in you and God working through you. That's what fruit is. It's the outcome of God working in you and God working through you. God working in you. We are changed from the inside out. Galatians 5.22 talks all about this. We are changed from the inside out. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Fruit of the Spirit. Changed from the inside out. God is doing that. Philippians one eleven calls it the fruit of righteousness. We are being changed by Him. Notice, okay, let's... Let's like put this in the terms that we've been talking about for a while regarding discipleship abiding in him What is a disciple A disciple who is is someone who is following jesus being changed by jesus and committed to the mission of jesus Following jesus being changed by jesus and and committed to the mission of jesus When he says abide in me, it's like follow me. Come with me. Trust me. Come with me following jesus when he's changing us from the inside out, this work, God working in us, we are being changed by Him. He's changing the things we love, changing the things we desire, changing the things we hope for. He's changing us. He's conforming us to the image of His Son. We are being changed by Him. He's, just talk, he's talking about discipleship. All of this is talking about discipleship. But it's, it's also God working through us. We see God working around us answer prayer as our desires line up with God's desires as God changes us from the inside he also puts us on mission with him and through that we are shown to be disciples if you abide in me and my words abide in you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit And so prove to be my disciples. And disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. It's the Great Commission. Not all will go to other nations, not all will enter full time ministry. Some will be called to that, most won't. And that's good. Jesus' followers need to be in every aspect of of the world, every place. Some, some some, will, some won't. But what we are all called to do is invite people into our lives, into, our ongoing, into ongoing relationships where they might follow Him, be changed by Him, and commit to the mission of Jesus' mission, commit to the mission of Jesus in their lives. And it is through all of that that the Father is glorified. This is true worship. Worship the Father desires comes out of a life that is rooted and dependent on the Son. So how do we abide in the vine? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. How do we abide in the vine? We root ourselves in the love of Christ. We root ourselves in the love of Christ. Know that the only comparison, the only comparison that can accurately capture the level of love that Jesus has for you is the level of love that the Father has for Him. That is the only comparison that captures it. The way the Father loves the Son is how Jesus loves you. Let that sink in for a second. Think about that. Meditate on that. Let it color everything you think about the way you relate to God and what He desires for you. He loves you the way the Father loves the Son. That's astounding. And then out of that love, we obey. We follow Jesus in the ordinary, in the everyday life. I think we get caught up in thinking we have to do something spectacular sometimes. And really, Jesus is calling us to be faithful in just the everyday stuff of life. Be faithful there. He might call you to do something outlandish. Awesome. Go there. But where he calls us to be faithful first... Is it home? Is it work? Is it school? When you're doing your homework, when you're taking a test, when you're filling out that report, when you're meeting with your boss who you don't get along with. That's where he calls us to be faithful. When you're at odds with your spouse, Or when you really want a spouse, but you don't have one. All of the things of life, that's where we're first called to be faithful. We obey Jesus with that same kind of heart that Jesus obeyed the Father. Obey because he loves you so much that he died for you, so you can be completely confident that anything he asks will be for your ultimate good. Do you believe that? That anything he asks of you will ultimately be for your good. It might be painful in the short term in this life, but it will lead to the very best in eternity. It's almost as if we're to follow Jesus' example, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Because where does all of this lead us if we obey like this? These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Joy. Joy. Do you believe that? Do you believe that hard things actually will lead you into joy? Do you believe that obeying Christ, abiding in Him, even when circumstances are difficult, will ultimately end in your greatest joy? God isn't trying to keep you from the good stuff. He wants you to experience the true good stuff. To the full. That's what He wants. But we're so caught up. So caught up in things that we think will make us happy, think will bring us joy that just leaves us empty sometimes. His goal for us is that we experience full joy. His joy. What a promise. What a heart God has for us. Now as we bow and get ready to pray... I want you to ask yourselves this. Is this how I think of obedience and following Jesus? Is that how I picture what it looks like to abide in Him, to depend on Him for all aspects of my life, to trust Him with all of the outcomes I'm facing? I'm guessing it's probably a struggle for many in here. It's a struggle for me. We still struggle with the truth that Jesus loves us with the same intensity that the Father loves him. But as I pray for you, would you pray with me that the Lord would open our eyes to this truth again. Let it sink in. Let it prepare your mind and your heart for communion, because we're about to take communion together. As we remember Jesus' death on the cross and the new covenant that binds us into that vine. The Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we we do need you, you to work in our hearts in our minds. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. We know you love us. Help us to picture and grasp how great that love truly is. We know you desire us to experience life. Help us to see it. Help us... To view that, to view our relationship with you really as that pearl of great price. Willing to give up everything we have to gain you. Lord, if there are any in here who don't know you, God, I pray that today would be the day that they put their trust in you. Work in their hearts. Reveal yourself to them. Father for those of us in here who are struggling, who who desire to walk with you but feel like we just fail again and again. Lord, your grace is sufficient. your grace is abounding. your mercies are new every morning. Lord give us the, the strength and the will and the desire, to look at you, to see you, to search for you and your word as your Holy Spirit gives us understanding and insight into it. Father, prune us, use us, work in us, work through us, bear your fruit in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.